Oh, hi. Hello. Um, this is Eli. This is a podcast about, um, about things, um, craft and technique, um, all the things associated with craft and technique, like art institutions and MIG welding and donkey, sheep, and goat toenails, as well as bicycle brakes. Important, important things uh, in the life of a craftsperson. Um, if you like craft or if you like talking shit to somebody while they talk about craft, uh, this podcast is for you. If you like taking a nap, also, this podcast is definitely for you. So, um, lots of important things to talk about today. You know, I feel like one thing I really want to address is bicycle brakes. Um, I feel like I was just working on some V-brakes, and I feel like I kind of, like, I discounted V-brakes. And I want to say sorry to V-brakes, and I think you're great. You have a great little noodle. Um, You work great. You got great, powerful stuffing power. Though I did work on a set of a new U-brake, a newer U-brake, like a new manufacturer, and fuck, those are f- so fucking solid. They really are solid. So um, U-brakes and V-brakes, still really great things. I don't know. I mean, I get it with rim brakes. Like, we shouldn't be, like, putting all that excessive friction on the rim which is a structural component of the tire and I get it with the disc brake but man they fucking work great um and they're very simple you know so and U-brakes isn't it amazing that these U-brakes have gone through so many different configurations and they really just work great let's hear it for the safety bicycle Okay. Uh, I think it's important to address how great bicycles are. Um, Now, what about institutions and bureaucracies? You know I have some things to say about that. Um, I think here's a thought that I'm having is it's on the small scale on the little parts as a craftsperson like I have this like really wide range of skill lots of knowledge about little things I've always been kind of a fiddler fidgeter fixer Um, it was something my grandmother taught me about um, and I learned to fix like you know oiling doors and fixing funky circuits she loved to she like wired up her house in some crazy ass way and I learned like you know basic 110 electrical wiring from her and if ever there was like something up like a door didn't close right the drawer was sticky like you know there's a leak somewhere it's like my grandma and then I would love to get involved in that stuff and so this is kind of how, in some ways, one of my techniques as a craftsperson and getting involved in art studios, um, I was just wiring up some lights in an art studio in Oakland that I just started working at, and 
in this space, the lights aren't bright enough, and so, and there's one, you know, there's a fluorescent ballast that's burnt out, so you need to swap out the fluorescent with the LED, and you can need to take down the housing and everything, and essentially rewire it, um, and swap out a new forfeit LED light. And it's a pretty common thing these days, swapping out fluorescents for LEDs. Um, and I was remarking to myself that, you know, probably 90% of the art studios that I've worked in, one of the first things I do is rewire lights. Is, you know, maybe I'm one studio in Tacoma in the early 2000s was like, 20 ballasts needed to be replaced. So I'd open up the housing for the fluorescent light, take out the ballast, put take out the ballast, put in a new ballast, wire it in, and um, reconfigure the whole system with new ballasts. You know, and, and this is another way that I've learned a lot about electricity is by just kind of getting in there and doing it in a kind of production style, um, not with not with trained electricians, um, essentially following a trained electrician's path um, to learn about how um, that stuff is done. Um, and then from there, the ability to lay in the wire myself and run conduit and, then, um, and that this has been a path into many art studios because of my ability to jump into all sorts of different things, including, you know, wiring and lighting. Um, I can, I get hired at these studios and begin that path of becoming um, indispensable to an artist because it's definitely something an artist needs when from an artist assistant is not somebody that just knows the medium, but somebody that knows m many more parts of how studios function, the physicalities of a building often is part of this. Um, and so, don't worry, I'm getting somewhere with this. The idea that um, these small little repairs, um, are part of my strategy and part of my skill and part of kind of the package you get from hiring me is my ability to like find and identify these small things and make quick work of the small things that sometimes can seem kind of daunting whether it's um, swapping out a light or finding a leak in an air compressor or tightening up a weird door. Um, so these things are important in small art studios. But in institutions, in large-scale institutions, they're often, they're, it, that scale is not important. And that that is often discounted down to the janitorial level, custodial staff level, you know, essentially often kind of beneath some of the um, more in the art 
institution world, like beneath the workers of that place and outside of their wheelhouse, outside of their job description. Um, that it's not, you know, that idea of being able to fix small things is often not rewarded in an institution where it's the large scale things that take, you know, budget and paperwork and spending a bunch of money and buying new equipment and replacing things. That's the things, those are the important parts of an institution. And in a small artist studio, uh, it's the little stuff that matters and the ability to kind of like, you know, tick away at the little things is what becomes really important. Um, and in the bigger institutions, it's not that that part of like you know being able to fix small things is not seen as an asset. Um, because ultimately, it's like there's no you know main body like one person that's like that sees it and is appreciative of it. Um, those things are not seen as well. Um, like there was at an art studio in Oakland, there was a, a working at, there's a air compressor that has a, the, a line runs throughout the building. And I noticed there's lots of leaks in the line. <clears throat> so I started chasing down a couple leaks and just repairing like simple stuff. Um, swapping out fittings or changing out little parts of the hose that were obvious leakers. And then I got it to the point where there was a main section of the hose that didn't leak. That overnight you could turn off the air compressor and it would hold its air um, till the next day, which is like, that's huge for an air compressor line because air compressor lines never get uh, that tight, you know, in old systems, there's always so many ways they can leak. But I got this old system to be airtight. And, you know, the artist was super appreciative of that and really saw that. And I, and I kind of, I thought, you know, that if I did something like that at a large institution, it would never be noticed. It wouldn't be something that you know, was remarked upon or noticed, it would just be, you know, it ultimately either is the kind of thing that either gets left where somebody's like, that's not my job to chase down those air leaks. That's just the way that is. That thing leaks, we don't mess with it. That's just the way it is. Or you go through the bureaucracy of buying a whole new air compressor and a whole new line and installing it and having some sort of professional, in quotes, uh, come in and install a new airline, a new air compressor, um, kind of soup to nuts, and you spend, you know, you have a line item of $10,000 in your budget, and then it shows as like this big thing that you did, and it's a whole ass thing. And that's the way that the institutions often function. It's not on those small little repairs. Um, it's either you leave it until it's fucked and then you you fix it um, but you don't kind of chip away at the small stuff like that and I think that that is um, 
part of the puzzle I'm putting together here of um, what is the function of the institution versus the artist and what is the dysfunction there um, and that was just you know one of those anecdotes I kind of um, got stuck on in my mind I want to share with you glad that you listen to that um, it goes back to this idea of um, the arts with a capital A and artist lowercase a <laughs> uh, ultimately those two worlds you know I thought that they for a while that they were running parallel and I think over the last decade kind of I had to switch and realize like they are at odds with each other you know the arts um, these art institutions and these large functions that kind of purport to be supporting the arts are in fact I mean they certainly are supporting the arts but they are not supporting the artists and I think that some of this is related to this like dysfunction of bureaucracy and this large scale um, institution and institutionalization of that um, of the way things the functionality of those institutions um, that small little art studios and artists are you know it's the little tiny things and it's the uh, you know it's fixing the leak in the air compressor and making things work with what you have um, versus, you know, these large-scale institutions with large budgets that, you know, the people in charge's job is to um, move these large budgets around and um, show reasoning for large costs or show large cost cut um, so we're going to continue to fight the good fight as little people and continue to be the weirdo artists that push back against this so um, here's an important thought I had you might be, maybe you work at a bike shop and you're that guy and you're pissed at me. Or maybe you're an electrician and you're about to listen to this and be like, what the fuck is he talking about? Well, you could send me an email. Um, my email is TacomaEli at Gmail. That's T-A-C-O-M-A-E-L-I at Gmail. And you could send me an email and tell me that I'm wrong about U-brakes or V-brakes and... I really need to get um, talking about disc brakes. Um, you could tell me about electricity and how I'm wrong about the things I'm about to spell it, say about electricity. Or you could say, you know, there's this one thing I really want you to talk about. And you could tell me what you want me to talk about at TacomaEli at Gmail. Um, I've said fuck it you know I've got another like studio email but I was like I'll just give you my fucking personal email because you know 
this is all really personal stuff. Um, so you could send me a very personal email and tell me or ask me about some important craft thing and I can describe in aggressive detail um, the crafting of that craft. Um, so minutia, tiny little things, electricity. Um, this is one of those things that's been kind of present with me um, since a very young age in the minutiae of electricity. I still have a very fond memory of making a flashlight. It's about eight years old or so. And I realized that I could use a light switch from a wall, like a regular 110 light switch. And it would function with a, you know, a battery, a small, you know, uh, <clears throat> AA batteries and a little tiny light bulb. Um, <clears throat> that I could wire up. Like I think I had like a board piece of plywood or something. I had a fucking <clears throat> homemade battery case and wires running to this switch and then a little ass light bulb with some tin foil around it. And this like big wall switch and it was like it would work to turn on and off. And I was amazed. I was like, oh, I thought these things were like for bigger things and like only those worked in this and that and so it was one of those big learning moments for me of understanding what it is to open and close a circuit and what that mechanical and electronic um, work is happening there. And so that, um, that world of electricity is, you know, and this is like all oh, my grandma um, giving me a lot of this info and... Um, allowing me into her circle of wisdom of like many extension cords and funky J boxes and conduit and you know running you know running interior wire on the exterior like things that you're not supposed to do but she also understood it in a way was able to explain it to me like this is not what you're supposed to do but it's <clears throat> you know this is what we do here in our house um, so, <clears throat> in our houses, in America, we generally all run 110 volts AC, alternating current. And in other countries, they'll run a 220, 240, or a 480 system. And generally, all these systems are AC, the house systems, and the large transmission lines are mostly AC. Um, alternating current versus DC, which is direct current. Um, there's some theories that and, and some of these theories are actually true. Some of these theories. Um, the alternating current travels better over long 
distances. And this one is a little, like, some of it is more about the reason that AC became as popular as it was, is that it, um, it really has to do with the way that it transforms. So you can step it up and step it down easier um, than you can with DC. Um, DC is a little trickier to transform. And now it's actually, you know, a lot of this has changed because of the growth in electrical um, components and um, knowledge around it. Some of this AC versus DC argument was done in with a very base level knowledge of um, how the electricity actually worked and the ability to use it at um, very high strength safely. Um, so to run AC 110 in a house essentially makes it, it's like a pretty safe system. If you were to run 480 volts into a house, it could certainly be more efficient, but it also, if it wasn't used correctly, it could really, it could give you all the death. Uh, and so that was an argument also for having it be stepped down in that way. Um, DC doesn't travel as well over the long range, but then at a certain point, it actually, like, what you can do is you, if you step the voltage way up and you have a lower current, a lower amperage then, uh, high voltage and low amperage, which is, and you'd keep the same watts, it's easier to transform AC like that. And then you lose less power with AC like that. When you're running, you lose, you have less resistance when you have the higher voltage and lower amperage. And so that's kind of, that's kind of the argument. So you can jam the AC way up, run it through this higher voltage, and then reverse that. But you're also, you lose a lot by, in the alternating current and um, the trans transformation of that power. Um, if you have a fairly inefficient system and you're old fashioned, like we was when it was invented, was all this stuff was the power lines were laid, it's kind of your only choice. Um, another factor is that the power created by dams, by turning systems, by generation in that way, coal or dams or nuclear, things that are spinning things, it generally is easier to make. It generally is making AC because of the magnets and the way that it's um, moving. It's going, it, the polarity is being switched um, constantly. Now, with solar systems becoming a larger factor, actually DC is, because solar systems make DC, um, and so the DC is becoming a little bit more um, of a regular power source, 
So that's kind of, that's changed a little bit. People have figured out how to run that, like running HVDC, high volt direct current, um, can actually be really efficient. You, um, the stepping up and stepping down is trickier, but we've kind of conquered some of that with um, innovations, you know. So here is the other big factor. It's always in my mind, and it's this idea of the Edison versus Tesla. Edison being on the AC side, and Tesla being on the DC side. And the Edison was essentially like stepping in for big power and was like, and all the miner companies, the mining companies that were like owning the rights to the copper mines and how this was going to play out in the American economy and was that if we can get AC, we're going to be, you know, all this money is going to be laid out in front of this industry and DC crazy ass Tesla was that if we make the system DC if we focus on DC we are going to make it way easier for people to create their own power so personal power systems would be our would be way more possible and running your own DC systems both having batteries that would store the power but also have generation systems um, that could create this small scale power would have been way more possible um, so you know, there's a lot more to it, I'm sure. But, um, you know what? We don't have that. We have fucking AC. Um, but now it's like a lot of the power is created in DC, trans transformed to AC, transferred as AC, high voltage AC, brought into our house as and then step down to be brought into our house as low voltage AC, and then step down and transformed again now to be used as low voltage DC, because a lot of our the things in our houses are being transferred to, transformed to DC now, um, because it's a better power system, you know. Um, all of our little battery systems in our um, devices and all our LEDs are all running on DC. Um, will there be a switch from DC, from AC to DC? I don't think so. I think that's too crazy. I think that we're past the place of like being able to do that massive infrastructure um, re-up that it would take to do that. And um, it would again feed into the idea of like personal systems that, you know, People could more and more be creating their own power and be pulling off the grid, which would, you know, it just doesn't line up with the way that um, a large government system wants things to run.
um, which is great, you know? It's good. We need more institutions in our lives. So, um, what we have is alternating current. And in alternating current, you've got one wire that's going to be hot. You've got your black wire, your color wire, white, or sorry, black or red generally are going to be the spicy wire. And then you've got a white that's your neutral. And it's a little different than DC where you have a positive and negative and a, and a polarity. Um, that you have the, the neutral is a, it's a place for the power to return to. In a way, you can actually run AC off a single wire. Um, but you'd need to ground it out. And you'd also, then you'd also just get zapped all the time. Um, but you can get the juice off um, one side. But the neutral wire lets that juice return back that you don't use. Uh, and then in that hot wire, you have the um, you have an alternating current happening, so it's switching polarity, which is another part of its like slight inefficiency because as you switch, it actually has to go from positive 110 volts to negative 110 volts 50 or 60 times a second. Uh, I believe it's 50 here in the in the states um, and so every time you switch from positive to negative you also are passing through zero so um, you're ultimately losing a little bit of power just in that transformation. Um, but um, it does make for, because of the, the ability to transform the power. That's why we already went over that. Holy shit, this stuff is confusing, right? It's really confusing. It's a lot to think about. Um, and I'm probably not getting it right, also. Um, this is all big things that I know in my mind or I think about, and it's a big puzzle. Electricity is a big puzzle. Um, and so there are many pieces to the puzzle, and I think the the more you can learn about it, the better. The more you can think about it, uh, the more you can put these pieces of the puzzle together. Um, oh, just, just makes you so snoozy, right? Makes you so tired. It's time for a nap. Let's take a nap. Um, just kidding. It's time to go to work. So, um...
alternating current it's running into your house now you're going to have that come into your house into your residence and your residential power it's going to run into one main box one main breaker box and that main you're going to have a certain amount of voltage um, that you are allotted in that off that breaker and that main breaker um, is the breaker is a, is a switch that is uh, will open itself so when it's closed the circuit is complete and then the switch will open itself at a certain point of power but when it gets too many powers running through it it will say it's really technically a, a, too many currents um, then it will open the circuit it will be the same voltage but the amperage will change and when it starts drawing too many amperages through it that switch will open so that's your main breaker there and that's the power that's coming off of uh, you know the power line coming in is your 100 amps uh, coming in at 240 volts which is going to be two legs of 120 volts um, and that variation be the between the 110 and 120 like that's that's where it's happening there is that each leg is going to be 120 and they're coming in to make the 240 system but sometimes that you know there's a little variation in those legs and the resistance that will happen in those moments is where you get that kind of variation between 110 to 120 um, in this stepping down the resistance is ultimately that's the loss of power and that's the inefficiency of the system um, so You got some power coming in. You have your power coming in on certain um, certain wires. You know, I assume that those are stranded wires coming in, but I'm actually not 100% on those. What the wire service is like, what the specs are for wire in the large power lines like what whether they're stranded or solid and what size they need to be and what alloy and such because I'm sure there's a whole specification about that um, once it gets into the house like it needs to be solid wire I believe I think like in California it's pretty much like all wire needs to be solid at this point um, and generally running through the wall it needs to be solid you can't have stranded wire running through the wall um, and stranded being the little 
little strands of kind of like rope looking wire and then the solid wire being one single wire all of it still insulated um, interior wall interior wall wire can be run it all needs to be grounded and so you would have 12 gauge wire running through your wall with a ground it would be indicated as 12 2 or 12 3 which would be um, one neutral and one hot or one neutral and two hots like a white and black or a white and black and red and that would be the three plus the ground so there's another wire running through that but don't count that one that's just always got to be there unless it's 12 2 ungrounded um, and so that wire that you're running through your walls is going to be solid wire insulated and with like Romex like a certain insulation around it also so that it has like a certain toughness to it and a certain grade of insulation so the power can't get out um, that stuff can run through your walls and then if you have it coming out of the walls then it needs to be inside of conduit but you can't run that Romex through the inside of the conduit so you run regular you run solid wire insulator wire through that conduit and then if you're passing through a wall you need to have a a junction box at that pass through you can't just run the conduit through the wall um, and I believe you can have conduit inside the wall I'm not totally sure on that but you can have conduit but technically you need to have a stop point against the wall and you need to have a junction box and inside the junction box is where you splice the wire and so you need to have a J box you have access to it and create splice point and a fixed point and the J box itself needs to be fixed to a structural part of the wall so that it's actually um, you know some of this has to do with earthquake stuff too is that you can't it needs to be attached solidly um, and some of this is fire stuff too um, and then if you're passing through the wall you have to have that certain through wall fittings which are going to be generally into a, you know a gay uh, a J box uh, and so you could have like the interior wire running through the wall come out into the J box with the through wall plastic fitting like a way to seal that um, conduit coming in um, and then you have the conduit then you have the sorry the Romex coming in you have a, a, a sealed through wall fitting that allows it into the J box then in the J box you can splice it into your conduit wire and then run your conduit along the outside of your wall and run it to where you need it or you know hang it to your light or something um, and so using then the 12 3 you neutral and two hots then you can that's how you're going to be able to jump to multiple lights and to switches and create something that has switches on either side um, a multiple switched um, 
light system. Um, you're going to need to keep that hot and neutral color-coded because one of the like it's possible to with that AC system to go either way on lots of appliances don't actually need to be because the the juice can flow either way through the appliance like if you have like a a toaster oven those elements you can run over the the juice through either way it passes through in one direction from the hot to the neutral um, but you can go through um, you can go through either way um, That's okay. Um, but with the light bulbs, one of the reasons that they're they are wired so the same as a light bulb. You can run a light bulb either way. You can power a regular halogen bulb either way you can run the hot or neutral on either side except the screw type light bulbs the reason they're wired the way they are is so that the neutral is the outside of the bulb the casing the part that it screws into and the hot is in the center so that you're less likely to get zapped when you're screwing in the light bulb or grabbing the light bulb or messing with the light bulb. Um, because the neutral is less likely to shock you depending on how the circuit is set up where the hot is the, the zappy one. Um, and unless those that circuit is complete, you're you're less likely to get zapped. But as my as my grandma showed me, it doesn't really matter. You just wire, you just get some wires and you put them together, um, and it fucking works, you know. Then you have you certainly have concerns about grounds and neutrals and you know. Um, shorts and things like that but um, so there's lots of wonderful um, ways that you can make this really dangerous for yourself but generally that's also I think why part of this goes back to like why 110 was used in the house because you're going to have a bunch of bozos like me and my grandma wiring things up and 110 is less likely to create a dangerous situation where it's going to over zap somebody and make them dead or it's going to short out so intensely there's going to be a fire and it certainly can cause fires and it certainly can um, arc enough but it's less likely to 
be a such a sparky fiery sort of thing um and so that's another like you know it, it's all it kind of i think in some ways like it's like the internal combustion engine and that we've kind of decided to have this like fairly inefficient system because ultimately it's safer than like pressurizing and heating the gasoline or running you know pressurized gas systems um that we've decided to just use um gas in this gasoline in this liquid form that's just kind of sloshing around and dripping into our engines um rather than like pressurizing heating plasma stating it and turning it into something that's like a more um, efficient system because that would be like really actually the systems would have to be tighter it would be more dangerous um but you know we did it with natural gas and propane and you know we could do we could do more we could do more but holy shit infrastructure is hard and it would take a lot of institutions running this kind of stuff and you know how I feel about institutions so here we are with our upside down efficient systems running our 110 wires um so conduit is going to come in certain sizes and there's going to be certain rating that that conduit has um, for how many wires it can fit in it and then your wires are going to be rated for how much power can be transmitted in those wires over a certain distance so that's something that's like that's going to give you like if you need to know how much wire you need or what size wire you need you need to know what is going to be power and then how far away it is from the power source and then you can figure out what gauge wire you're running um, and this is why with dc power low voltage systems um that we can run way smaller wire it's way safer um, to run these small wire systems well this is so confusing man um so you got some conduit you got some wire you got your J box, you got your junction box, and that's where you're going to access the power, whether you're going to wire into that or you're going to put plugs on that. Uh, and that you might have 110 with two wires, the hot and a neutral and a ground, so three technically, but your two spicy wires and your one ground. Um, or you're going to have your 240 systems, or you might have two hots, a two, one, two 120s, and then a neutral, and then a ground. And then, this is where it gets even more confusing, is um, you might have on that system with the old-fashioned dryer systems um, would 
run two hots and then the ground and neutral were just the same because really like you got those two hots and you want to have a return on them and you can take it back to neutral or you can just take it back to ground to earth um or and that's where like I um, some of these old systems I was wiring in I was trying to get my welder plug a new fangled welder wired into an old fangled building and I was trying to make an adapter that would take this old 240 to the newer 240 plug and was researching about how these plugs work and what kind of um, systems they run in and realize that these older systems the ground and neutral often at the box were all the same like they were at the main box like ground and neutral just wired together uh, and that you would you could run a separate neutral wire out and a ground wire but they'd both be coming back to the main at the same place and so these old dryer plug these old NEMA dryer plugs mm, NEMA 14 or something that would have these they would just have three 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 prongs on them a neutral and two hots um, and then that probably at some point that was just um, a bit much to have that neutral running through the ground and um, if things went haywire could be detrimental um, and so now those plugs are all four wire and the grounds and the neutral are all separated so essentially there's a ground and earth at the house and probably that neutral also eventually runs back to a ground somewhere else but maybe an even larger ground, deeper deeper into the ground to the real earth to middle earth where they send that electricity back to where it came from um, so on those 240s, um, then you just have a larger, a larger size wire to run that stuff, um, and more serious plugs. And those are just like more, they're just harder to deal with because it's like bigger wire and it's harder to bend and you got to make sure it's just right and you can't just be rigging it together with little uh, wire nuts and stuff. Real electricity. Real power. So, um, you know, let's see, one of the, one of the things I, I know about is electricity running into kilns and often what you're dealing with with kilns is you have the power coming in and then that is going to a relay switch and the relay switches are 
they are relaying a message from another system. So they're taking a small signal and they're switching a larger power. So in most of the modern day kilns, the relay switches are um, receiving a microamp signal from a computer that then switches the larger power. So it's like a 240 relay, but it's got a tiny, like, you know, 0.5 amp, 0.04 amp signal coming from the computer, this tiny little signal that then um, switches that relay and sends the big power Uh, on that through that switch the relay being either or the old-fashioned style is a mercury mercury relay switch and so he uses mercury to uh, complete the circuit a liquid conductive material uh, and so those relays need to be installed like in a certain orientation so that the liquid then will be off at a certain level and then when it flips it that it, it um, will complete the circuit um, so solid state relays SSR um, solid state relays are a little newer and those are generally uh, a more regular more regular now the used to mercury switches are less so they're like bigger and more expensive now um, people still fuck with those but um, so you've got these relay switches so those are switches that are inside the box that are powered by your computer and then you have the main power going into those and then coming out of that is the power to your elements and attached to the relays is the little tiny wire that goes into your computer that tells you that tells that thing when to do it and now these kind of newfangled computers are all uh, you know often touch screen and have more complex inputs but ultimately same sort of output small microamp signal sends a uh, signal to that and then you can use the same kind of microamp signal to run solenoids on a gas line also so you can um, run an on off for a gas um, or you could actually run an actuator that would adjust that gas would be a small motor and essentially you'd be turning the motor on and off given a signal so you would adjust the gas or now you have a variable speed motors uh, that you would send the microamp signal would give that signal um, and adjust the speed of the motor in accordance with a temperature reading and that temperature reading the thermocouple that's going to be your other wires that go to your uh, which you might call computer um, 
And so the computers. Computer love. Um, this is where you get into that kind of DC AC stuff and like knowing a little bit about both of these and understanding how to what size wires you might need what you're <coughs> excuse me dealing with as far as um, power sources and what those signals mean how well you need to insulate things um, when you can run little tiny wires when you need to run big fucking wires when you have to be careful about crossing wires um, um, little transformers because you're going to have you know 110 is often going to be your power source but you might need a solenoid that actually runs on a 24 volt um, and so it needs to be signaled on a different um, you know 24 volt DC than the 110 AC So knowing how to read those, um, both with your voltometer and your wiring diagrams, those are important. Those are helpful. You can ask your grandma about that stuff. Um, how does this work, grandma? Uh, and hopefully your grandma will show you how to wire things hot. This one thing grandmas love to do is fucking wire shit hot. Um, also another thing you shouldn't do, but another thing you should know how to do, which is another reason why it's good to know the difference between the neutral and the hot, because if you do, then it's easier to wire things when they're hot and you're less likely to arc them and weld them. I mean, generally, when you're wiring hot, you're not actually wiring under load. Let's be clear. It's just like has potential to be spicy, but you're not actually under load. So you're not switching it when you're wiring it. But sometimes you might need to be. Um, so these are some things you might want to know about. I don't know. I feel like we got somewhere with this. Um, you know, a lot of this has to do with, like, it's it's application-based. Like, what are we doing? Then we can get more specific about, like, what do we need to do? What size wires? What kind of box? How are we running this whole dang thing? All that stuff um, is, you know, the application really matters. Um, so I can give you this kind of vague, fun information about wires. Um, but I can get a lot more specific if you'd like. You can send me an email at TacomaEli at Gmail. Ask me to talk about a specific situation um, that we might need to wire. Maybe I could go over a certain kiln or a certain wiring. I've done a number of wiring projects lately. A lot of LED lights, a lot of kilns, some furnace stuff, um, and so I could talk you through that or time I built a radio uh, the circuit board out of a kit I could talk you through that probably uh, soldering things 
wire nuts, all the different wire connectors, fucking electrical tape. What what is electrical tape? Why it's not what's the deal? Why is it called electrical tape and why is it not just called vinyl tape? Uh, so we could talk about that too. Uh, lots of things we could talk about. But for now, I think I'm going to go make um, some cute little cups. Uh, some really cute little design of cups. Uh, it's like a mini, it's like a smallish pint glass. You know, it's like a 10 ounce, 12 ounce pint glass. And a little clear foot. And a little letter P on the bottom made out of cane marini. And very collectible, very collectible cup. Uh, it's very exciting. Everyone loves cups. Um, down here in Palo Alto, uh, the heart of American tech, you know? So many side stories of architecture and invention and craftsmanship, craftspersonship here as well. So I hope you have a great nap. I hope you have a great day. Um, I hope you feel all right. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's really good to have you here with me for this conversation. Love you lots. This is the end of message. Bye for now.